The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. Well, now our audience can hear you. Welcome to Brutal Nation, <laughs> podcast series dedicated to less known serial killers and acts of true crime. I purpose. I did. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. And right across from me is the always complaining. <laughs> Tell them what you did first. Always bitching <laughs> and nagging. Tammy Underwood. Say hi. Nag. Hi, everybody. He he was just being a dick before that came on. So. No, I wasn't. Okay, you burped so, really loud. Did no, say excuse it me. It wasn't even a huge burp. Okay. I had mm-hmm. just eaten a cookie because I'm like, I'm so starving. I, I'm so hungry. I could eat the asshole out of a skunk. That's how hungry I am. But thankfully, we got burgers getting delivered to us. That's right. Hopefully, but, uh, mine doesn't come all spicy and shit again. <laughs> so, no, because uh, I didn't I didn't order the Montoya burger or anything. Okay, good. But, uh, so, I had a little burp that snuck out, and here she is. Meh, 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 And that's what happened. You need a Snickers. <laughs> yeah, burger, man. Freaking starving. All right, Tam Tam, it is Fetish Friday. It is Fetish. No, I debated on whether to even do this guy for Fetish Friday, but I think what he did was kind of not like a sexual fetishy. Oh, okay. But fetishy. Oh, okay. It was weird. Not to be convinced with feta cheese or anything like that. Correct. So. Or fettuccine. Oh, I can do it too. Is that what you have going on down there? I thought I smelled something I'm funky. I'm going to fucking hit you. <laughs> you will not survive the day <laughs> because I will beat you senseless. <coughs> but, um. Kind of surprised I did survive the day anyway. You saw how it was blowing and. Well, you weren't here when it was. No, it like did a, a little fuck, bit. A little like a earlier. hurricane, but, man. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like, the winds picked up. It's blowing everything around. It was dumping down rain. Oh, God dang. Yeah, Am I no, in Florida? Yeah, right? I was going to say, I'm going to take my damn shirt off and go and fight a tree. Yep. That's what I was ready to do. Yep. Sure so, all right. So tell me about your dude. My dude is Israel Keys. Hello, Israel. Okay, anyways, Israel may just be one of the most notorious serial killers that the FBI has ever hunted, yet not many people have heard of him. Well, okay, I got to admit, I had no fucking clue who this was until yeah. you said, hey, I'm going to be doing this guy named Israel Keys. Well, I'm see, like, he's more well-known around this area. Oh, is he related to Alicia Keys or something? No, dude. Very white. <laughs> is he, well, wait a minute, is he, is he related to Piano Keys? Spelled different, but okay. <laughs> is no. he re- uh, related to Keychains? Are you done? Anyways, he's, he's, he's very well known home. around this area because he lived in Washington, Oregon. Oh, get the that, fuck out. Yeah. No, yeah. I'll tell you in a minute. It's really bizarre. Sweet. Right yeah. from our backyard. Yeah, but he was actually, the one he was caught for was up in Alaska, but still, yeah. North to Alaska. <laughs> North, the rush is on. Okay. Is it the big gold rush is on or something like that? Yeah, something like that. I don't know. I can't remember. I don't know. But anyways, granted, more people in the Pacific Northwest might know him, but and there might be a few on the East Coast, but other than that, he's not very well known. Um, oh. Other than Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Tool, though, you know, Beavis and Butthead, Israel may go down in history as the most cooperative murderer that's ever been interrogated. But um, the difference with him is that most, if not all, the things this vile man had to say were true. 
And the FBI questioned him on five separate occasions for a total of more than 40 hours. Well, they want to spend time with him. He yeah. sounds like he's an okay guy. So how's the fishing up there well, in Alaska? That's you'll find out good. some There's more. some salmon. Yeah. yeah. There are videos of each of these interviews. Um, so I won't go through them here and do the transcripts or anything. But I will try to have links to them because they are very interesting. Cool. Um, yeah. And... Israel was a well-traveled killer. He would roam around to various locations to find his victims. He never had a definitive type when it came to his selections. They were all merely victims of opportunity. Oh, okay. Yet, and they were chosen at randoms from locations he had scouted. To acquire the funds for his murder spree, he chose to burglarize homes around the area he traveled in. And when that didn't prove to be lucrative enough, he went out and robbed some banks. God dang. Yeah. You know, I kind of like him. Let me tell you why. Mm-hmm. He knew he needed cash to do his killing. Oh, you're going to like him here in a minute, but go ahead. And he said, okay, I'm going to rob some houses. Okay. Obviously, I can't break into the really high-end houses, and if I do, really, what's a TV worth these days? Like, yeah. seriously, I don't know when this all happened, but like, I know, like today, like, I've got a really nice Samsung hanging on my wall right now, and if I tried to sit there and fucking sell it, I'd be lucky to get 50 bucks. Right. They'd be like, um, you give it to us for free or we'll recycle it. <laughs> you pay us and we'll take it. Yeah. No, nobody's paying top dollar for fucking TVs anymore. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. Um, I get into this more later towards the Hold end. Hold on. Do you have dates of when this dude was killing? Yep. That would be nice. I will tell you in a minute. Fine. Fine. 2001. Thank you. Yeah. So he's recent. I didn't Very. know if this was, this was back was, in 1935. He was caught in 2012. Oh, damn. So he killed for a minute. Nice. Yep. Nice. Yep. His first attack happened in the 1990s. Dude, is all, I like you, Israel. That's all right. Go yeah. Ahead. So Israel was a well-rounded criminal. However, it appears he had some ethics. I'll get into those later. But Israel Keys lived by a certain code when it came to the people he murdered, a code he never wavered from. There may have been no rhyme or reason to his selection process, but he never strayed from the morals and ethics he set for himself. And you'll soon find out what I mean. Okay? You ready? I'm ready. Check this out. I'm ready. Israel was born in Cove, Utah on January 7th, 1978. He's our age. Oh, my God. Yeah, dude. He's one of our brothers. Yeah, he's three years younger than me. Our generation. My generation, baby. I'm telling you. Whatever. He became the second of 10 children. Okay, Israel, you need to well, talk to your mom, okay? Like, like, seriously, well, do you know how that shit happens? Okay, but you got to understand. Oh, you'll find out why. His parents were John Jeffrey and Heidi Keys. To say they held to unorthodox beliefs is probably Mormons. an understatement. Well, just get, give me a minute. It's probably an understatement. Before Israel was born, John and Heidi had decided what they were going to believe in. The list included uh, what they weren't going to believe in. Excuse me. The list included government interference, modern medicine, and a public school education for their children. Um, that's a bucket of fucking stupid. Yeah. Well, Israel was still in diapers when the family decided to live off the grid. They up and left Utah one day, and they settled in the remote area of Colville, Washington. Where's Co- I'm telling I, you I think, right now. I think I've heard of it. That's the thing. I'm, I'm trying yeah. to place it. That's- it's a 
It, their new home was hidden in the isolated woods, approximately 71 miles north of Spokane on US 395. Oh, oh, that's why I've heard of it. I've been, I've been up that way, yeah. Oh, yeah. Living there, Israel and his siblings would never have the luxury of electricity or heat of any kind. And it's said that the kids slept in tents for most of their childhood. Jesus Christ. They, they lived off the grid. No shit. Because government's always watch me, man. Dude. Um, sometime after they settled in Colville, Israel's parents made the decision to separate for, from their church. They no longer wanted to be associated with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So, yes, they were Mormon. It was around that time the Keys became friends with Kirby Kehoe and his family. The Kehoe family only lived about a mile up the road from the Israel's family in their own isolated section of the woods. Israel became really good friends with Chevy and Cheyenne Kehoe. Who the fuck named I'll somebody t- Chevy? Come on. I know. C-H-E-V-I-E. I don't care, man. You, you name your kid Ford like a real man. <laughs> when their parents homeschooled them. Not long after befriending the Kehoes, the Keys family began attending church with them. They all attended the Christian Identity Church called the Ark, which was located a short distance up the road from their house. Now, thank you. After doing a little digging, I found out a little bit about Christian Identity followers and what they believe. They adhere to their own strains, anti-Semitic and racist theology. What's wrong with that? The church, quote-unquote church, as a whole, took on a major influential role in the 80s among right-wing racist groups, kind of like the parishioners of Westboro Baptist Church. This group is Christian (coughs) in the name alone. (laughs) What's wrong with that? Dude, whatever. What? I was able... You know what? Don't bring Dieter out. I was (laughs) able to find a copy of their doctrine. Shut up. And they have a hate uh, from this place called Southern Poverty Law Center that has a hate watch section that um, gives current information various ways the supremacists are operating around the country so people are aware of it. Um, The Christian Identity Doctrine believes that white people and not the Jewish are the true Israelites favored by God. Therefore, it almost goes without saying that identity followers have a somewhat hostile relationship with other evangelical groups. You see, Miss Tammy, we are not the only ones who say that we are superior. Just sayings. It gets even worse. Add to that, the church the Keys and Kehoes attended, the Ark, held strong to those beliefs. When it was in operation, services were led by a guy by the name of Pastor Dan Henry. He was 83 years old. He was an 83-year-old white supremacist, and he regularly preached to his congregation that the Bible was their story, that whites, or more specifically the Aryans, were God's preferred people and his chosen race. He made it clear to the followers that the Jewish people are not and never were actual descendants of the Hebrew nation. And he taught that Jews were truly biological descendants of Satan himself. You see, Tommy? Christian identity. Mein Führer was not wrong in this. <laughs> yeah, the Christian identity believers frequently refer to themselves as the authentic Israel. And some suggest that the reason why Israel didn't have a middle name was due to his parents naming him as a statement of their beliefs. Okay. So, yeah. So that's what he was exposed to very early in life. Now, he's also surrounded by negative influences. It's a wonder why he did what he did. It's a fucking mystery. The Ark and its congregation of radical supremacist believers weren't the only negative influence in Israel's life. Um, His childhood friend, Chevy and Cheyenne Kehoe. Chevy Kehoe grew up with a lifelong dream of his own. He wanted to be 
he wanted he read about Bob Matthews growing up, a man on a mission to lead white revolutionaries into a race war. In 1984, Matthews' mission came to a screeching halt when he was killed during an FBI shootout. Well, Kehoe wanted to succeed where this man failed. He longed to fulfill his ambitions of being an Aryan warrior. He didn't care how bloody his hands became. And according to court records in Ohio, Washington, and Arkansas, he achieved some of what he set out to accomplish. The name Chevy Kehoe is linked to more domestic terrorist acts than any right-wing extremist has been able to take credit for in recent decades. You know, if he would have been named Ford Kehoe. Kehoe, not Keyhole. Keyhole. That's his name, <laughs> Keyhole. Chevy Keyhole. <laughs> A Chevy Keyhole yeah. is way inferior to the Ford. I'm just saying just saying. Sorry, Chevy. I'm guys. just saying. He is like, whoa, dude. Whoa. Oh, no shit. And that, that was Israel's best friend growing up. So, so sometime in the late 90s, the Keys family once again relocated. That particular time, they chose Moppin, Oregon. I know where Moppin is. Which is approximately 47 and a half miles north of Madras mm-hmm. on US 197.97. Yeah, my, uh, my, my Uncle George. Mm-hmm. Used to live out in Thai Valley and, and in the Moppin area, and he actually had a rock mill um, oh, okay. where they kept the uh, decorative rock to so oh, okay. blast it, take it to his mill, and they they would cut it. Oh, cool! Yeah, that's my yeah. Awesome, dude. Yeah, anywho, they didn't stay there very long before they packed up and went clear across the country. This time, they wound up in Maine, living in an area in the vicinity of an Amish community. Living and in an Amish later paradise. in life, uh, Israel, I don't have this in my notes, but Israel actually related the religion that they were in when he was little, little, you know, the Mormonism that they followed right. to Amish religion, the way they dressed and everything else. So I'm wondering if they were like kind of like the um, like a, Jeffries. Like a Jack Amish thing going yeah, on. Well, no, because they were Mormon. They were fundamentalist Mormons. So I'm wondering if they followed along the... You know, the Jim, Je- the, what was his name? Jim Jeffries, that guy that had the compound down in California area. Oh, oh, I can't fucking remember. Yeah, you know who I'm talking about, right? Jeffers. William Jeffers, I think I is his name. Jim Jeffries is a comedian. Yeah, I think it's William Jeffers. Um, anyways, sometime in the late 90s, the Keys family once, oh, I already said that. According to Israel's own words, he started his criminal activities and as an adolescent living in a tent in Washington. From a young age, even though his family was a large one, he preferred to stay to himself. He loved to spend time in the woods where his dad taught him to hunt as soon as he was old enough to fire a gun. And Israel would spend hours roaming the woods near his home hunting, quote unquote, anything with a heartbeat. Okay. Yeah. So to say the boy was obsessed is downplaying the situation. He was known to take his BB gun and shoot out windows of houses in the area. Sound familiar? It does. Sounds like somebody we've been talking to lately. Uh Anyways, if nobody was home, he'd break in and spend time in the house. He also had a fascination with starting fires in the woods around his house. As he got older, he would find a way to get into the hunting cabins of the neighbors, and he would take all the guns he could find. He then took the stolen weapons back to his house and hid them in secret areas. He had several gun caches all around the property. Eventually, his parents figured out what he was doing, however, but I don't think he received any real punishment. Heidi and John just told him to return the weapons to their rightful owners and apologize. So... In his own words, he said, I've known since I was 14 that there were things that that I thought were normal and that were okay. 
that nobody else seemed to think were normal and okay. So he knew this at the age of 14. Mm-hmm. Okay. So once Israel was in the custody of the FBI, he agreed to meet with Dr. Ronald Roche, a psychologist from Washington. He's better than his brother. <laughs> Dr. Roach. You're so fucking dumb. Or the band, Papa Roach. I hate you. <laughs> um, they spent six and a half hours together where the do- doctor evaluated him in an effort to figure out whether he was had enough sanity to legally be charged for his actions. Dr. Roach concluded that Israel was not only sane, but that he also possessed an IQ on the high average side, and he displayed antisocial tendencies. Okay? Well, I'm thinking more how he was raised. Come on. Yeah. During the evaluation, Israel told the doctor that he had two sides. And I actually have a clip of it. We, sh- I, we should try to, try to add it to the end of our episode. Okay. Uh, yeah, because I actually have an audio clip of where he says this to the doctor. Um, the, see, the side that everyone around him knew and a darker, sinister side he kept to himself. He spoke freely about the desperate need he had the need to have control. It was a running theme with him during the exhaustive hours of police interrogations. It was also evident in the crimes he committed. When Israel and his family moved with his family to Mompin, his father decided to build their house along the Deschutes River. He joined his brothers in helping him get the job done, and that was sometime in the late, late 1997, early 98. Um, it was also around that time that Israel decided he no longer wanted to live by the same Christian doctrine that his family followed. His decision caused a rift between him and his father, one so wide neither would ever be able to forgive each other and repair the relationship. However, he did remain close with his mother. After making the decision to turn his back on his family's belief, he was drawn to the practice of Satanism. He decided he would try to find a way to go around raping and killing women. However, he didn't want, let's see, where did I put uh, the bum? Oh, he didn't want to just rape and kill. He wanted to get away with it. Israel often thought of Ted Bundy as his hero. He just didn't want to end up in jail like him. Israel knew he could figure out a way to fulfill his desires and escape justice. He had great plans for his first kill. He was, he wanted to kill a young woman using a satanic ritual. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. That summer, he got a job working for a company that catered to inner tubers along the Deschutes River. You know, they go and tube down the river. Right. Uh, there's white rafting, white water yeah. rafting. I'd like to do that. I've so done that bad. several times. It's a blast. Yeah, whatever. One day he was standing was on the... I was in my 20s, not like today. Dude, I'd do it right now. On the, one day he was standing on the beach of the river when he spotted a group of girls getting ready to take their turn tubing. One of the girls stood out to Israel. She had beautiful sandy blonde hair and was between the ages of 14 and 17. She also happened to be the last of her group to set out. That's when he made his move. Did he, he made have a his... white panel van? This no. is a white panel van story, isn't it? No. Oh. He made his way out into the water and grabbed her from behind. It's important to note, though, that even though Israel was an opportunistic hunter, he was methodical in his methods. Prior to abducting the young girl, he had everything he wanted to do to her planned out. Oh, okay. Yeah. I like he, a planner. He knew where he was going to take her and what he wanted to do to her once he got her there. This was going to be Israel's first kill, and in his mind, he chose the perfect secluded location, a place where he could leave her body and nobody would find her for a very long time. He drug her through the densely wooded area to a bathroom not many people knew about inside the campgrounds. Prior to choosing his victim, he had everything laid out so perfectly. After he used the rope that he had ready, tied her hands up, he brutally raped her. 
Originally, he planned to torture her in a satanic ritual before he strangled her to death. To get rid of her body, he figured he'd just put her, in, put her lifeless body down in the toilet pit. Ew. That's what I said. What a shitty way to go. And no, no pun intended with that one. I'm serious. That's not even a dad joke. That's just fucked up. Yeah. Isn't that fucked up? I mean, it's bad enough that you're going to kill and rape this, this chick. You know, dude, at least have some fucking respect. Yeah. When Israel told the FBI agents about this incident later, he said he remembered that she was really scared. And the whole time he was raping, raping her, she kept repeating that he could let her go and she wouldn't tell anyone. Even though he told her to shut up over and over again, the girl continued to plead for her life. However, while she was making her pleas, she never really fought back. And Israel told the agents that when she kept talking to him and didn't struggle to fight him, he lost his nerve. At the time, he wasn't as violent as he needed to be, and he was still somewhat shy. So he ended up just letting her go. But after that, he swore to himself he would never let another victim go free. Oh. And he was never arrested for this crime. It's also not clear if the authorities ever found the girl he attacked. Oh, so she lived? Yeah. Oh, no, okay. No, I'm, I'm happy about that. Okay. Yeah. He didn't, I, in my head, I thought that he threw her no. down on the toilet. He was pit. going to. Okay. Well, going to and doing is two different yeah. things. Okay, Israel. But you, she did to him what. Um, I was just trying to think of What's her name from Bobby Joe Long? Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of her name right Me offhand. Me either, because she started talking about her abuse yeah. and everything like that. Yeah. Yeah. So. So, no, uh, I, I got, you know, he get, Israel gets a point for that. He didn't actually fucking go through and kill her. And, yeah. Uh, I like that. Well, he was barely 20 years old, so. Hey, look, we just did a killer this week. I know that was, that what, was 13 when he killed? Started when he was 14? like, he started mutilating people. When he was 11, yeah. Like 11, so. Yeah, don't don't give me that bullshit. He was barely twenty, I know. dude. Please, this guy's way too late. Well, see, and that's just it. Is he had everything so methodically, and that's all his murders. They were methodically planned out. His victims were all random. You have to make a plan, like yeah. seriously, because victims can change. You don't know. You don't know what your supply chain's going to be. Yeah, because like. he never really stalked victims. He yeah. just cased areas. There you yeah. go. So in July of nineteen ninety eight. Israel obtained his GED, and he decided he wanted to join the military. He enlisted in the ar army and thrived as a soldier. He loved the military training, especially when he learned more survival skills. His, he claims he made several friends among his fellow soldiers, and they would often go out drinking. His troop was stationed in Egypt for about six months, and he made the best of his time there. By this time, Israel made up his mind that he was an atheist. When he went out drinking with his friends, they would take trips to Tel Aviv. While there, the men would seek out the prostitutes in the area. And it was also in Egypt that he came to terms with who he was and what he wanted to do. And he started to walk like an Egyptian. Yeah. Shut up. I knew you were going there. I have to. Nobody brings up the Bengals anymore. Nobody does. And it makes me freaking sad. They were a great girl band. They were an excellent girl band. So if, okay, God damn it. For our listeners that are super young... Um, the Bengals were just an another awesome band. Manic Monday. Look up the Bengals. Listen to the Bengals. Dude, they were awesome. Trust me, they are. They were awesome. They were awesome. So um, he decided he would begin to make his fantasies of killing others a reality eventually. Once he returned to the states, he was stationed in Fort Hood, Texas, for a little while. Oh, my buddy Fred Wilcox was, sta was stationed there. Then he was transferred to Fort Lewis, Washington. I know where that. My brother Bobby was stationed that's there. Just right up there. Yeah, I pass Fort Lewis once a week. I know you do. Going up, yeah, and that's where my my brother Bobby was stationed there for oh. a couple of years. Yeah, before we got Is out of the Is that the, the little brother that you always answer the phone for? Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. I don't talk to Clint very much at all. Um, I've never heard you really talk about him. Yeah, uh, Clint's the youngest of of my of my brothers, right? Well, my stepbrothers, and Bobby's the oldest of them. And uh, do you talk to Jordan at all? God, I haven't talked to Jordan in forever. You know your sister wife? <laughs> yeah. Oh, do I ever know? No, I haven't talked to Jordan in forever. Oh. Yeah. So, um, besides getting a DUI once. He never did anything to break the law while he was in the military. I actually have pictures of his military, his discharge papers, and he won several awards. He, um, let me see if I can pull it up here real quick. He won awards. It's coming. Hang on. Sorry. I should have. not even breathing Shut hard. up. I knew you were going to fucking do something like that. I know about that. A certain lady I know, but. Anyways, he received the Army Achievement Medal, the Army Service Ribbon, the Marksman Badge with Rifle Bar, Expert Infantryman Badge, and the Air Assault Badge. God dang, he's like a Boy Scout, but in the Army. Yeah, he he was very, very accomplished in the military. Um, After, in July of 2001, after serving three years in the U.S. Army, he received an honorable discharge. While he was in Fort Lewis... Prior to his discharge, he met a Native American lady. She lived on the Macaw Reservation in Nia Bay when they started dating. And that's up in the Olympic Peninsula, by the mm-hmm. way. To, he would go up there often to visit her. And she wound up getting pregnant. So we, when he received his discharge papers in July, he moved to the reservation to live with her. Over the next six years, Israel lived with her and their daughter in Nia Bay. And he took odd jobs working for tribal authority in their parks and recreation department. As part of his job, he spent a great deal of time in the mountains around the Olympic Peninsula, taking frequent trips to eastern Washington. He claims that he committed his first murders during that time. Even though he confessed to the crime, he never told the FBI who the victim was or where the murder took place. When they asked him if he committed the murder in the national parks or state parks, he remained silent. Um, By 2007, he had ended his relationship with his baby mama. And started seeing another woman. They were still dating when she moved to Anchorage. And that year, so he and his daughter followed her there. Okay. Okay. He fell into his role as a serial killer very well. He never stuck, sorry, to a specific victim profile while choosing his victims. He just happened to pick anybody that appealed to him of the unfortunate people who crossed his path. His favorite places to hunt were the parks and campgrounds around the United States. And he admits that these locations didn't give him a large selection of people. However, he preferred it that way because it also meant there weren't any witnesses. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So after another aspect of Israel's murders, what he'd never killed close to home, really. Smart guy. He traveled far and wide to seek his victims. For instance, in 2011, he took a flight to Chicago. And once he was there, he rented a vehicle and drove to Vermont. And that is where he killed Bill and Lorraine Courier. Holy cow. That's a smart move. Yeah. Well, yes and no, because if they're tracking him, then they can show a paper trail. But outside of that, pretty smart. Yeah. He had a long list of similar trips, which covered the majority of the United States. The FBI actually released a timeline of his travels to see if they could get any information from people about who might have, you know, because they don't know every all of his victims yet. There were also his trips to Canada, Belize, and Mexico, where he may have also sought out victims. Now, even though Israel selected his victims at random, he spent 
hours and days meticulously planning how he would commit each murder. In his travels all over the country, he had kill kits hidden in specific areas. The kits were filled with weapons and ammunition as well as numerous chemicals, chemicals he could use to help dispose of the body and destroy any evidence. Whenever he had the urge to kill, he always seemed to have a kill kit in the area he could dig up. Smart guy. Yeah, all over. the. They found tons of them all over the U.S. Dude, genius. And I say that only because we've never seen. Something like that, no. Yeah, ever, Mm -mm. ever. In in all the serial killers that we've done so far and that we've researched, uh, you know, that we haven't put on the air yet. Yeah. Holy shit. I'm, I'm, I'm actually kind of impressed. Yeah. And he always paid, chose to pay in cash wherever he went. And as an added precaution, he would always take the battery out of his cell phone so that his whereabouts couldn't be traced at all times. He would only put it I back like in every him. time he needed to use it. I like him. Yeah. He, I mean, like I said, he was meticulous. Um, he also spent a great deal of time studying how FBI profilers operated. He idolized Ted Bundy, and he knew he wanted to be better than his hero. He went to great measures to hone his skills. For instance, even though he was a naturally thin man, he went to Mexico and had surgery to receive a gastric band. It's speculated that he did this in an effort to minimize his physical hunger. Ah. Yeah. There are also some reports that imply he found a way to change his fingerprints and had hair removed from his body. And this was done to reduce his chances of ever leaving evidence that could tie him to a crime. Holy shit, man. Yeah. So this is the this is the one that I believe this is the murder that I believe qualifies him as a fetish killer. Okay. The other ones, there's not a whole lot of detail on the other murders. Well, there's a lot of raping going on, it sounds like. Yeah, he did when well, and I talk a little bit about it later, but that Bill and Lorraine. He got them away and killed the man right away and then spent time raping the other wom- the woman before he brutally murdered her, strangled her to death. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Um, days, if not weeks, before February 1st, 2012, Israel chose Common Ground's coffee stand on Tudor Road in Anchorage as the location of his next abduction. He claims that he had seriously considered other locations. However, he chose this one due to its remote location and late hours of operation. When he went around looking for places to hunt his victim, he never saw or met Samantha, the lady he killed. (coughs) On the evening of February 1st, Israel walked up to the stand right before it closed. In video surveillance tapes, he's seen wearing a ski mask and ordering coffee, which you wouldn't think anything of him wearing a ski mask up in Alaska in the middle of winter. Fucking, I guess, Anchorage, Alaska in the middle of the winter. It's not exactly toasty outside. Yeah, so Samantha makes him the coffee and hands it to him. At that point, he takes out his gun and orders her to give him all the money. She does everything he tells her to do, but he still forces his way into the stand. Once he has her cornered inside the building, he binds her hands with zip ties. He asks her where her car is parked, and she tells him she didn't have one there. So he, after that, the surveillance tapes show him forcing her to walk out of the building and towards Tudor Road. Okay? Then you can't see him on the tape anymore. Okay, gotcha. For a brief moment, Samantha was able to break away from him, and she tried to run away. But he caught her and tackled her to the ground. He wraps his arm around her with one hand. With he wraps one arm around her and points the gun at her body with the other hand. He told her she needed to do exactly what he said because she wouldn't want to do anything that would make him kill her. Well, sound like a football game going on there, you know? Great tackle by Israel Keys, number forty-eight from the Colts. Type of a thing. <laughs> 
Yeah. On from the, the killers. <laughs> <laughs> from the killers on the 50-yard line. Yeah. <laughs> um, then the two of them crossed Tudor Road and went into the parking lot between IHOP and Dairy Queen, where Israel had his truck parked. Now, before he chose Samantha to be his victim, he made sure his truck was prepared and unidentifiable because it's just a white truck, right? Huh. And it's white snow, so you blend yeah. in. You're so he invisible. took off all the toolboxes that he would normally have on the back of, and, you know, bolted in his truck, and he removed the license plates. He made sure that when he drove away with Samantha, there would be nothing to specifically identify his vehicle as, hey, that's Israel's truck. Holy shit. Yeah. As Israel drove Samantha around, he told her, they was just kidnapping her in an effort to collect a ransom. She tried to tell him that her family wasn't that rich and he wouldn't receive much. And he said that they could get help from the public to get the money and they needed to pay it. Um, as he talked, he was hoping to convince her that he'd let her go if she fully cooperated with him. He told her he intended to make sure she got back to her family and she actually believed that he wouldn't hurt her. They always do. I know. Not that I know from firsthand experience. Yeah. At one point, he discovered she didn't have her phone with her. He needed her cell phone to con- contact her family to make the ransom demand. So he planned to send texts using her phone. Since he needed the phone to carry out the plans, he took her back to the coffee stand. Left her tied up in the truck. Went and got the... I mean, you can see him on those surveillance tapes going back in and getting the phone. Um, once he had her phone, he got back in the truck, drove to the other side of town. From there, he sent two text messages. One to her boyfriend and one to her boss. They both basically said... Um, and he made it sound like it was coming from her, her herself. And they basically said she did not have a good day at work and she was going away for the weekend. So they wouldn't look for her. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm picking up what you're throwing down. Here yeah. you chirping, big bird. After he sent the messages, he removed the battery so it couldn't be tracked. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So then he asked Samantha to give him her bank card. She told him that she, had her, she and her boyfriend had a joint account and the card was in their vehicle at her house. She gave him the address as well as her PIN number. Israel desperately wanted that bank card, but he couldn't risk taking Samantha with him to go get it. So he decided to leave her tied up in the shed that he had in front of his house, and he made sure to turn the radio all the way up to drown out her screams. And as an added measure, he told her, I have a scanner. I'll know if you try to get away. Jesus Christ. He thought this shit through, man. He did. Israel drove his truck over to Samantha's place, managed to get in her truck to retrieve it, her bank card. Her boyfriend saw him. And came outside to yell at him. The guy thought Israel was just some, someone lurking around the neighborhood. But after verbally confronting him, after verbally confronting Israel, the boyfriend went back in the house to get some help. Samantha's kidnapper, Israel, ran back to his unmarked pickup so he could get out of there before anyone else saw him. He drove around for a little bit. Then he found an ATM because he wanted to make sure the PIN number worked. It did. Once he knew it did, he went back to his place to carry out the rest of his plans. He returned to the shed where he had Samantha tied up. He brutally raped her, like brutally raped her. And after he's finished, he strangled her to death. Yeah. That's fucked up, man. Right. Once she was dead, he left her body there, went inside, finished packing his suitcases. He wasn't going to cancel his vacation plans. The following morning on February 2nd. A man needs a vacation. Israel flew to New Orleans and then he went on a cruise as planned. Hey, a man needs a, he's a hard-working man. He's out there. He's, he's a hard-working man. That's right. He's out there. He's working, and he's, he's killing, and he's raping, and he's leaving, you know, his little fucking murder And it's in the middle everywhere. of winter up in Alaska. He has no problems leaving her in a shed because she's not going to stink for a while. Well, exactly, man. Like, she's going to get preserved. Mm-hmm. 
It, it's all good, man. It's not like it's the middle of you know July in Georgia or anything like that, or no Florida shit, or Louisiana, you know, where they're just gonna rot. So, it, it, like I said, he's probably out there busting his yeah. butt. He's working hard. Man needs a vacation. Okay. <laughs> so on February seventeenth, he returns to Anchorage. He had been gone for 15 days, and he couldn't wait to get back and carry out the rest of his plan. He had left Samantha's body in his shed, and he needed to start sending the ransom demands. He planned to send the ransom notes and have the money deposited into Samantha's account, and he would then take her bank card and withdraw the money. In order to do that, he needed Samantha one last time. He took her body out of the shed, put makeup on her to give her some color, sewed her eyelids open and snapped Polaroids of her. Holy, what the fuck? Dude, if you see the pictures... Not pass. Dude, it's like she's got like this wide-eyed look, like she's scared. Oh, damn. Well, but least... she is like 15 days dead. Gee, many, well, at least she did a job of it. I mean... Dude, that's just like... I guess... It, I mean, and the reason why I chose it as a fetish because it kind of reminds me of that guy who mummified that girl that he thought was his soulmate. Oh, the doctor. Yeah, 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 it's like a fetish. It's like he had to, you know what I mean? To like bring life back into this girl. And he just came back from vacation. Vacation helped him relax. He, he was in Mexico, through. got a little tan himself. No, he was in Louisiana, remember? Oh, that's, yeah. but he cruised to Mexico. Is that where his cruise went? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, anywho, he's feeling pretty good. He's feeling pretty spry. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, I spent a little too much there in Mexico because, you know, Mexican hookers, they're cheap, but... You know, they're they're kind of like... Uh, he was down there in Mexico living on refried dreams. That's exactly it. But they're kind of like a Pringles. You can't eat just one. So he probably had like, you know, 30 or 40 of them fuckers. And that shit adds up. You know, so he had to come back and get some money. I, I understand. I, I'm, oh, I'm yeah. Picking, I'm, he I'm wanted $30,000. That's a lot of hookers. I know, right? Even in American standards. I know. He actually needed a proof of life picture. So he held the February 13th, 2012 copy of the Anchorage Daily News in front of her. Oh, wow. Yeah. He had it. I mean, this was just, it's gross. At least he thought it through, though. I know, right? I got to give him that because a lot of our killers don't. They don't think shit through. They think yeah, that they do. Like, yeah, no, because he, me. like, killed her within hours of kidnapping her and right. raping her. But, no, he still used her dead body 15 days later. Like Lucas and Tool, man. They, they, if, you, if you listen to them, they think that they are just smart as smart can be. No. You they know, don't hold a candle, this guy. But, you know, and they that's what they think. But in reality, it's like, um, you both are fucking morons. Yeah. So you guys can eat a bag of dicks. This guy here, he's smart. I like him. Yeah. So after he had the picture, he made a photocopy of it and typed the ransom note on the back. He used a manual typewriter that he had bought just for this purpose. What are you? Are you making faces at your son? Wackadoo. I'm Marty Moose. Here's something all right. So, um, he, in the note, he demanded to be paid $30,000 if they wanted her safe return. Knowing she's already dead. Okay. With that part of the plan complete, he went to the dog park and went straight for the bulletin board. He tucked the photo and note under a, like a memorial flyer for a dog named Albert. Oh, poor Albert. I know. And then he put the battery back in Samantha's cell phone and sent a text to her boyfriend in the message. He said they could find the ransom demand under Albert in the dog park. And that's exactly where the police found it. Over the next few days, while waiting for the ransom money to be deposited, he carried out the final step. He went back, dismembered her body so that it could be easier to transport in his truck, and then took her remains out uh, um, to 
Matanuska Lake and cut a hole in the ice and just threw her body down there. That doesn't make sense. She's already frozen. Yeah. You know, trying to take care of like a frozen body or what have not. Yeah. It's a lot easier if it's dismembered. Totally understand. Yeah. So, um, James Koenig, Samantha's father, took the reward money and put it in the bank account as requested and members of because members of the community had pulled the funds together to catch her kidnapper. They all thought she was still alive. The police planned on using the money to track down whoever was using the car to withdraw the cash. It didn't take them long to realize the perpetrator was on the move. There was a series of ATM withdrawals across the country, starting in Anchorage, then Arizona, New Mexico, and then Texas. And then, you know, Texas Rangers, once they get involved, <laughs> they get their man. <laughs> That's right. Chuck Norris is a Texas Ranger. That's right. <laughs> That's right. He's a Walker, Texas Ranger. You're fucked now, dude. Yeah. So, um... Tracking the ATM transactions, the law enforcement found out that the money was being accessed by a white male driving a white Ford Focus. The FBI and the Texas Rangers were closing their net. Um, Texas Highway Patrol officer uh, Corporal Brian Henry saw a white Ford Focus matching the one on the APB. He pulled the vehicle over and called for backup. While he was there talking to Israel... Texas Ranger Steve Rayburn arrived on the scene and they were able to get enough information during that traffic stop to call Chuck Norris to, to search the vehicle and call Chuck Norris yeah. Walker Texas Ranger inside the car they found Samantha's cell phone and her <laughs> bank card in his wallet before right before he was captured he had been visiting his mother and a couple of his siblings in Texas and while he was with them one of his sisters had her church pastor come over in the hopes of getting her brother to rethink his atheism when she asked him if he was willing to do that, he said to her, you don't know the depths of the darkness I've gone to. You don't know what I've done. Well, it's true. He didn't I know. lie. He didn't, but, you know. Cut the man some slack. Yeah. Give me that look like it's a bad thing. He was truthful, man. Yeah. Once he was Damn, arrested that, and they boy. got him back in Alaska, um, the FBI began to question him about Samantha and her disappearance. Disappearance. Once he was confronted with all the evidence they had, he confessed to committing the crime. During the confession, he told them that he recently started feeling as if he were no longer in control. And then he said, back when I was smart, I would let them come to me. What do you mean by that? Because it sounded like he... I think he just picked the victims that just happened across his path. He didn't go... You know what I mean? Oh, okay. No, He didn't look for hunting grounds. He just picked them up right where he was. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it it makes sense. Yeah. So I still think he was pretty smart. Don't yeah. condone what he did, but got to find the good in most people. There's some people that, you know, that we've done that they can go fuck themselves. Right. So over the next several months, the FBI inter- interrogated him. And during the tape sessions, he revealed his crimes to some extent, as well as prepared as well prepared as he had always been for the murders he committed. He was just as prepared for the interrogations. He was playing another game of cat and mouse with them. And he only told them what he wanted them to know. And then he started with, he told them about the girl he raped back in 97 to 88. Other things he would hint at. And when they questioned him, he'd just be quiet. So during the interviews, Israel talked about killing less than a dozen people. There was even a point while he was in his jail cell that he drew 12 skulls on the wall using his own blood. Damn. And in an episode of 48 Hours, which aired just last year, an FBI agent said, we believe that 11 is the total number of victims. How only, however, he only gave the names of three. Holy fuck. What yeah. the hell? In addition to killing Samantha, 
Israel confessed to killing Bill and Lorraine Courier in Essex, Vermont. He claims that in June of 2011, he randomly chose the couple because they fit the criteria he had for all of his victims. Remember when I told you he had adhered to a strict, his own strict code of ethics? Yeah. When it came to the murders he committed, his code prevented him from killing children, women with children, or people with dogs. You know what? Okay, stop right there. I knew there. you would love this. Yeah. You know what? I've got nothing bad to say about him. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. You want to know why? He refused to that kill. That is decent. Kill children, women who had children, and people who own dogs. I can appreciate that. Like, seriously. Yeah. Because so often our killers target the most vulnerable people. Right. Women, kids, and elderly people. Mm-hmm. You know, and then they torture dogs on top of that. This guy likes dogs. He's not after kids. He's not trying to mutilate, you know, women with kids. Right. I appreciate that. Yeah. Like, seriously. Yeah. And this couple also had an attached garage, which he liked his victims to have, too, because that gave him the cover. He could go in the garage, put him in a vehicle, and drive away. Well, yeah, makes so sense. So on that day, he broke into their house, managed to subdue them. He then got them in the vehicle and drove them to an abandoned farmhouse. Once he had them at the remote location, he killed Bill right away. And after her husband was dead, he raped her repeatedly right next to her husband's See, dead body. That I don't like. Yeah. That right there, Israel, is where I got to draw the line because you shouldn't be raping anybody. Like, for real. True. No means no, motherfucker. Yeah. No, dude. As the interrogations went on and he confessed to killing at least five more people, he never did reveal the names. He simply said that four of them were from Washington State. He told them he murdered a couple between the years 2001 and 2005. Then he murdered two other victims on separate occasions, one in 2005 and one in 2006. Wait a minute. I wonder if he could be the tube sock killer. No, wasn't the tube sock killer in the nine, 80s or 90s? I can't remember. That's what I was trying to think. Yeah. I think he was in, yeah. Oh, okay. The Never mind. The fifth victim Israel said he killed in 2009 while he was on the East Coast, and he left the victim's body in New York. After his confession, the authorities believe they are relatively confident that last victim was a girl by the name of Deborah Feldman because she was from New Jersey, and she'd been reported missing in 2009. Um, there's more speculation as to whether he was responsible for some other unsolved crimes in the country. For instance, some believe he was the one who killed Julie Harris. She went missing from the Colville area in 1996. A month after she was reported missing, someone discovered her prosthetic feet. And the rest of her remains weren't found until the following year. Both her feet? I, that's what it sounds like. Like not singular? We're talking yeah, plural? Yeah, it says feet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Although he was in the area when she went missing, he denied any involvement. Um, some also believe he's responsible for the death of 56-year-old Mary Cooper, who was killed with her 27-year-old daughter, Susanna Stodden, while they were hiking in Washington State. They were both shot to death in 2006. Damn. Yeah. One thing he did share was his future ambitions. Oh, cool. He said that after he killed Samantha and had the money, he had plans to leave Alaska. He's going to travel through remote regions searching for new victims, and he'd work as a contractor along the way. His ultimate goal was to build a house in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> a place he could take his victims and keep them imprisoned. Hey, you know what? At least he had future goals. He wanted to have like his own freaking... Like his own little H.H. Holmes type of Yeah, kind of like, you know, I think a Toy Box Killer and Heidnik and, you know, those yeah. ones that wanted their own little private torture area. His little slice of heaven. Yeah. 
during the interrogation, he'd only share some of the details that he, you know, he took extreme pleasure in controlling the flow and limitations of the information he gave. One thing he made clear was his desire to make things make sure things went quickly. He didn't want to sit in a cell for years waiting for the day of his execution. The main reason he wanted to have a quick execution date was for his mother and his daughter. He didn't want them to suffer because of the crimes he committed. Of his daughter, he said, and I'm quoting, I want my kid to have a chance to grow up. You know, she's in a safe place now. She's not going to see any of this. I wanted to have a chance to grow up and not have all this hanging over her head. I respect that. Yeah. So the bargaining chip Israel used to get a quick execution date was confessing to killing the couriers. Yet he continued to show his frustration with the system. He felt things were taking way too long. So he exercised the only control he had left. And even though they were told not to, jail officials gave him a razor the evening of December 1st. And that night he sliced his wrists and used a bed sheet to strangle himself. His body was found the next morning. The only people that attended his funeral on December 8th were his mom, four of his sisters, and three brother-in-law. When the jail officials found his body, there was also, they also found a four-page suicide note under his body soaked in blood. They sent the note to their crime labs and techs where they were able to salvage a readable document, and it was released to the public in 2013, and it's an ode to murder. You want to hear it? Go for it. Yeah. It says, where will you go, you clever little worm, if you bleed your host dry? Back in your ride, the night is still young. Streetlights push back the black in neat rows. Off to the right, a graveyard appears. Lines of stones, bodies molder below. Turn away, quick, bob your head to the seat as straight through that stop sign you roll loaded truck with lights off slams into you broadside your flesh smashed as metal explodes you may have been free you loved living your life fate had its own scheme crushed like a bug you still die soon now you'll join those ranks of dead and your or your ashes the wind will soon blow family and friends will shed a few tears pretend it's off to heaven you go but the reality is you were just bones and meat and with your brain died also your soul. Send the dying to wait for their death is the comfort of retirement homes. Quietly, quickly say it's for the best. It's best for you so their fate will, you'll not know. Turn a blind eye back to the screen. Soak in your reality shows. Stand in front of your mirror and you preen in a plastic castle you call home. Land of the free, land of the lie. Land of scheme Americanize. Consume what you don't need. Stars you idolize. Pursue what you admit is a dream. Then it's American die. Get in your big car so you can get to work fast on roads made of dinosaur bones. Punch in on the clock and sit on your ass playing stupid ass games on your phone. Paper on your wall says you got smarts. The test that you took told you so but you would still crawl like the vermin you are once your precious power grids blown. Land of the free, land of the lie, land of the scheme, Americanize. Um, hang on, there's more. There's a lot. Did he write a fucking book? Yeah, now that I have you held tight, I will tell you a story. Speak soft in your ears so you know that it's true. You're my love at first sight, and though you're scared to be near me, my words penetrate your thoughts now in an, animate, in an inanimate prelude. 
I looked in your eyes. They were so dark, warm, and trusting, as though you had not a worry or care. The more guileless the game, the better potential to fill up those pools with you, with your fear. Your face framed in dark cur- curls like a portrait. The sun shone through ha- highlights of red. What color, I wonder, and how straight will it turn plastered back with the sweat of your blood? Your wet lips were a promise of a secret, unspoken, nervous laugh as it burst like a pulse of blood from your throat. There will be no more laughter here. I feel your body tense up, my hand now on your shoulder, your eyes. Forget the lady called luck. She does not abide near me for her powers don't extend to those who are dead. Um, then there's some illegible words that said, would that I keep, could keep you, let you be the master of your own fate, knowing full well what's at stake. My pretty captive butterfly, colorful wings, my hand smears. I somehow repaint them with punishment and tears. Violent metamorphosis emerged my dark moth princess. I would come often and worship on the altar of your flesh. You shudder with revulsion and try to shrink far from me. I'll have you tied down and begging to become my Stockholm sweetie. Okay, talk is over. Words are placid and weak. Back it with action or it all comes off cheap. Watch close while I work now. Free the electric shock of my touch. Open your trembling flower or your petals I'll crush. Jesus Christ. That letter told me a lot. Did it tell you a lot? Tells, yeah. That's... He wanted to keep her forever. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's why he's a fetish. He wanted to keep that girl's body forever. Jamie, I'm fucking speechless. I know, right? So, I actually do have a couple of final thoughts. Um, I don't have a whole lot. And I said, actually, for the first time, I really don't have a whole lot of thoughts regarding this case. I do think what he did to Samantha's family was despicable. I can't even begin to imagine how they felt when they found out their daughter had been murdered when they thought she was alive. I will also say that it's a rare occasion when I actually have a little admiration for the person committing the murders. I mean, let's be honest. Despite being a cold-blooded killer, he had a code of ethics. His own twisted sense of morals prevented him from doing unspeakable things. However, there's one thing that boggles my mind. According to the, I call it the Israel Keys Code of Killing, he refused to kill a child or a woman who had children. Yet I'm wondering, how does he justify raping and killing women in general because they're all someone's daughter? He's talking about children, children. You know what I mean? Right. So, no, I I can understand how he can justify that. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I mean, because that's what I was saying. It's like, okay, if you won't kill a woman who has children and you won't kill a child itself, how can you, I mean, because she's ultimately somebody's daughter. See, and, and here's my thing for our listeners, is everybody says, oh, murder and killing is bad. And in general, it is. But yeah. look at your victim pool. Like, if you had somebody who was killing rapists, uh, maybe it's not so bad. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, you know, if you have somebody who's going around and, and they're killing child molesters, Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe not so bad. Maybe you had a Dexter in this world. Yeah, exactly. If people are like Dextering it up, you know, for me, I'd be like, "Uh, yeah, killing's bad, but eh, you know, it's it's not so bad. Yeah. Okay, so now I have questions for you. I hopefully I have fucking answers. Okay, you know what the first one? Nature or nurture? Oof, that is definitely nurture. (laughs) Holy shit! All the way. God, that couldn't be more nurture if it had a neon sign. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they were devout Mormons, extremely devout Mormons. 
Then they went from that to became Christian identifiers, the complete opposite. Right. Do you think that that played a part in his behavior later oh, yeah. in life? Oh, yeah. You think it just, like, fucked his mind up? Uh, yeah, you're, you're following two way different ideologies. Oh. Way different. Oh, way stretching different. Stretching out. Yep. Uh, do you think there were more than four murders they were able to link? Do you think there are more <laughs> than the four murders they were able to link him to? Oh, yeah. Okay. Do you think there's more than the 11? Yep. You do? Oh, yeah. I would think that there's probably more than 20, and here's why. Why would you need murder bags in several locations? It's not just going to be for one murder. Yeah, he had a murder kit everywhere. Yeah. They found so, one in New York. So, yeah, you yeah. know, you would assume that, okay, for example, you're not going to buy, you're not going to buy a brand new car, okay, right. or a car, or even a used car, to use it one time to drive up the road to get groceries and come back. True. Buy it. Why? Because you need a car and you need to drive it mm-hmm. more than once. Precisely. You know, and, and everything, everything that we purchase, at least, is, is the same way, mm-hmm. um, except for my exercise bike. Because I used that a whole, like, you know, ten times. but uh, Twice? No, ten times. But, um, so, he's not going to have a murder. He, he thinks everything out. That's the thing. So, being someone who thinks everything out, he's not going to have this, these murder bags everywhere. Yeah. And not yeah. use them. Oh, yeah. Totally. They're not just going to sit there. That means that he knows that. And you know oh, he's going to go back here. if he puts them back. Yeah. Either what you know, and he did this so he would never have to travel with weapons. Smart ass man. Smart man. Yeah. Yeah. Because he knew where he could hunt, where mm-hmm. he had his murder bag, his murder kit. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. So I yeah, would... if you put him back, you know he's going to go back there and kill again. Yeah. So I'm thinking so. that there's probably a substantial. Oh yeah. Amount of victims. Probably. Probably. Um, do you think that he had planned to commit suicide all along, or do you think it was because? Uh, this, he made the decision because he felt the process was taking too long. He had he had it planned all along because anybody who he went on at his own terms. Yeah, well, and anybody who has half a brain knows that even if okay, if I was to kill my neighbors that I can't stand next door that right, I bitch right, about right. all the time, <laughs> and the cops come and I say, "Yep, it was me." Here's the gun. Here's the blood on my hands. I did it. They're going to take me to jail. Right. I'm going to have to go through court. Yep. Okay, so that's going to take probably close to a year. Mm-hmm. And then after that. No matter what, they're going to appeal it. Yeah. Even if I go in there and said, and said Your Honor, Yeah, if you get the me. death penalty, it's automatically appealed as soon as you're sentenced. Yeah, and that's what I was getting yeah. at. I can walk right in there and go, Your Honor, I did it. I did it because I'm a total asshole and I hate my neighbors so much that I had to kill them all. Right. And they say, okay, death penalty. And then, boom, you're going to get an appeal. And that yeah. appeal's going to at least take another year or two. Yeah. And True. then... Then, even if I'm going, hey, look, put me to death, like, huh, we have to appeal this again because we have to make sure your rights yeah. are being honored. And even if I deny my own rights, don't don't give me these rights. Kill me off. We, we have to appeal it again. Yeah, totally. So he's like, you know, if I get caught, I know this process. I'm just going to kill myself. Yeah. We'll be done with it. Well, yeah, because he got arrested in, what, March? Late February, early March of 2012, and he committed suicide on December 2nd that yeah. same year. There you go, man. So, yeah, I believe he totally had plans, too. He was all chop, chop, pork chop. Get yeah, that chop, shit chop, done. belly flop. Yep. Yep. Um, do you think that, uh, uh, well, I know how you feel about the ethical code he lived by and I love murdered it. by. Uh, do you think it actually contradicted with his atheist belief system, though? No. No? No, not at all. You can be an atheist and still have ethics. 
know. They, I know. Religion and and uh, and and ethics aren't you know mutually exclusive to each other. <laughs> right. No, I get it. I understand that. But no, I just I was just like, yeah. To me, that letter said it all. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I was yeah. gonna say, I know you can tear that letter apart, and you know, you know. That would be like a four-hour show. It would be. Because I will take that letter line by line yeah. and tear that bitch apart. Yeah. That's what I do. I <laughs> mean, he talked about society, you know, like doing their reality shows and, you know, when they watch TV and they live by this mm-hmm. thing, but they're not like, they, you know, they're not paying attention to what's going on around them. Right. Yeah, but he, he also was... mentions in several parts where he kind of almost feels disenfranchised. Yep. That too. Throughout there, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and then there's the the part of, you know. Of him being very attracted to at least his last victim. Uh, yeah, he pretty much wanted to keep her. Yeah. He, hey, keep her. She's a keeper. Yeah, he said, I tied you down begging to become my Stockholm sweetie. I mean, <laughs> Stockholm syndrome, that's an obvious reference yeah. right there that he wanted to keep her. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Hey, the good thing, if he would have kept her, he could have always come home and had a cold one. <laughs> no. Yeah, because I think he always wanted to kill her, but I think he wanted to keep her dead body. Oh, yeah. So you yeah. go home and crack a cold one. That's just wrong. <laughs> you know, and he never said anything, but after reading this letter, do you think that he did fornicate with her after he got back? Hell yes. I didn't have that in my questions, but I just thought of that. 100%, man. I think he came home. He's looking at her. He's like, huh, I can probably warm her up a little bit. You know, get yeah. a little sum sum from, you know, she's dead. Yeah. She's, she's frozen like a fish stick. Right. And this letter says that, you know, he wanted to keep her so that he could keep coming back to her. So, yeah. I believe he did, too. Mm-hmm. Well, totally. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he does kind of fall into fetish, but not until the end. Not until the end. He gets all fetishy. Got all fetishy. But, yeah. So, that's all I have. Do you have anything? No, I don't. But here's to you, hardworking man. Go home and crack a cold one. I fucking hate you. <laughs> I, as soon as I said that the first time, I started thinking of those Budweiser commercials. You know, real man, a genius. Here's to you, Mr. Foam Finger Inventor. Mr. Foam Finger Inventor. Only you can could invent something to let your team know that they're number one. You're number one. That one? Yeah, so you're going to say, here's to you, Mr. Eyelid Sewing Ransom Note Delivering Guy. Only you could come home after a two-week vacation and crack yourself a cold one. So have a nice Bud Light. Gross, dude. So gross. Oh, so many levels. So gross. Oh, humper of the now frozen. Now think about him having sex with her dead body. Thanks, Scott. Let's see. I call him already uh, humper of the frozen. Mr. Humper of the frozen. Mr. Humper of the frozen. <laughs> Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> You're so fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah. Which is funny because they have a, a place in Colorado, too. Mm-hmm. I know, in Fort Collins. Yeah, I know. I have friends who live in Fort Collins. Well, Shout I, out, Twiggy. Love I've, you. Uh, I've, I've been there. I've been to that. I, I used to pick up so at those I. breweries. That's where I got my Jethro, my doggy. Oh, have you ever, have you checked out the, their actual facility in St. Louis, Missouri? No, I haven't been to any of their facilities. Dude. But. It is literally blocks and blocks and blocks really? and blocks. I would love to go. It is huge. Wow. 
I would like to go. I wouldn't. I don't drink Budweiser. I think it's. Clydesdale I don't drink around. Budweiser either, but I'd still like to go. I want to see their there. Clydesdales. I bet you do. Sticko. Next on Fetish Friday. <laughs> Fuck you, dude. No, I, I. That's where I got my doggy, my Jethro. Yeah, I remember. I remember. Yeah, my Bassett. Uh huh. That poor Bassett who's under a lot of stress. No, he's getting so old. He needs to tell Ghost to pack, or pack his bags. I need somebody to come over and build a ramp in my back door so he can get up and down it. I would love to if I knew how to build anything. Yeah, I'm not taking you to my house. So. <laughs> oh, I'm going to your house. It's for a whole different reason. No, we're we're going to call it stabbing. I will move. We're going to call it stabbing the cat. I fucking hate you. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Remember, check out the website, www.twistedbluellc.com. You can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check out the blogs, Medium, Crime Beat, which is on Medium, Hub Pages, and Vocal Media. Just type in at Brutal Nation, and we'll pop right up. You'll be like, oh, my God, it's amazing. And I don't mean to listen to Scott making racist comments and, and being an asshole. That's right. It's amazing. This show's copyrighted 2021 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights reserved. And we will talk to you guys later. Y'all have yourselves a good weekend. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.